Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Good. All right. We're awake in the nine o'clock service. All right. I'm so glad. Uh, Well, today, I I hope that your week has been great. Uh, Whatever you have done this week, I hope that you have had a great week. Uh, I am so excited that you're here with us today. I know you could have been anywhere else on this cold, chilly Sunday, snuggled in a bed or just sitting by a fire, whatever it may be, but you're here with us. And I'm excited and thankful uh, that you're here with us. My name is Pastor Aaron, and if I haven't been had the chance and the opportunity to meet you, I would love I would love to meet you and greet you after service in the lobby. I am the associate pastor here, uh, and that uh, and, and with that, I oversee a lot of things: next steps, uh, uh, new believers, uh, communion, and, and baptism. I oversee discovery track and our guest services team, and so on and so forth. I can keep going on, but I would love to meet you. I would love to greet you, greet you and your family. I uh, just welcome you here. If, if it is your first or second time, or whether it is your hundredth time, and I just haven't had that opportunity. I would love to meet you. I know the announcement video hit on a lot of great things coming up, uh, but I want to take the opportunity to let you know about two big events that are just over, just a little over a month away. And the first one is this. It is our Marriage Matters Conference, uh, March 10th and 11th. So uh, if you're the planner in, in your marriage or in your relationship, go ahead and write that one down. Put that one on your phone calendar. March 10 and 11th, this is for all married couples, engaged couples, people that are in a committed relationship, uh, whatever uh, you, uh, your relationship may be. Uh, we, uh, we would love for you to be there at the Marriage Matters Conference. The cost is $50 per couple. And then we'll also have childcare available uh, if you have children. And that's just a small extra fee that'll be included on top of your registration. I believe it's $10 for the first kid and then $5 for the second, $5 for the third with a $20 max. So that covers me. I got three kids. You'll see them here in a second. Uh, But if you have four kids, you can't go over $20, which is an incredible deal for childcare, am I right? And all the parents said, amen. Uh, It's an incredible deal. It is going to be a great time. Friday night is going to be a date night. We're going to bring in some really good food. We're going to have live music. Um, I can't remember the the musician that we have coming in, but we're going to have live music. Uh, We're going to have great teaching from Pastor Jeremy and Corey. And then Saturday morning, we're going to have breakfast. We're going to have some games, but then we're also going to have some guest speakers with some practical teaching uh, for us in our marriages. So I would love for you to be there. Registration opens on Valentine's Day. Isn't that a good day to open, am I right? Registration opens on Valentine's Day. I have the exact time, but I won't say it because it might change. But we would love for you to be there if you're uh, married, engaged, committed relationship. We would love for you to be there. It's gonna be a great time. A Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, it's gonna be an incredible time together. And then second event is for all of our men, which I can get a woo-woo. All of our men is March 18th, the next weekend. Uh, So at that event, at the Marriage Matters, wives, you can kick your husbands into going and get them out of the house for a great time of men. It is our March Manness Conference, March 18th for all men. Uh, We'll have March Madness 
on the TVs, in the lobby. We'll have some games. Uh, We'll have really, really good food. Uh, We'll have a guest speaker and worship and just a lot of fun together as men. That'll be from six to nine on that Saturday night. So wives, if you have kids, y'all have kids, uh, you're not alone with the kids for a long time uh, until they go to sleep. That's how I look at that. At seven o'clock, my kids go to sleep. So my wife only has them for an hour. So anyways, uh, March Madness Conference, March 18th. So we would love for you to be at both those events, if you're a man at March Madness, if you're a married couple or engaged couple, committed relationship at Marriage Matters Conference. So be on the lookout for the registration links coming very, very soon. But enough of that. I'm excited today for the message and excited to bring the word. Pastor Jeremy and Corey are speaking at a church in Virginia at a marriage event. Uh, so Pastor Jeremy and Corey, if you're watching now, which I don't know if you are, but if I know you're watching in the future, we're praying for you. We hope that you uh, guys uh, travel safely back and they will be back with us next Sunday to continue our new series uh, uh, that's called Real Families. But today I'm excited that we're starting our new, families, uh, new series called Real Families. And through this series, we're going to take, the, take a look at the life and family of David and pull biblical truths from different stories about David's family and David's life that we can in turn use to strengthen our own families. And I just want to let you know this up for, uh, first and foremost. Every family is messy. Am I right? Every, every family has their ups and their downs. Every family has their dysfunctions, maybe some more than others, or maybe people just hide it better than others. Uh, every family has their struggles, and so did David's family. Maybe on an extreme level, but so did David's family. You know, a lot of people believe that they have to have this white picket fence kind of family. Uh, A lot of people believe for the the younger crowd, a lot of people believe that they have to have this perfect social media picture kind of family that supposedly has it all together, that, that is wealthy, that doesn't, you know, has everything that anybody could possibly want or need, that has no issues uh, and, and just loves each other all the time and never fight. And, and that is complete lie. Uh, <laughs> families are messy. I got an amen on that. Families are messy. That's, that's not real. That's not real. That's not a real family. That's what we want to portray, but that's not a real family. So a couple of my family members, my parents are in here right now, but they don't know this about to be on screen. But I got a couple of pictures of my family, uh, my whole family, my side, and then my, my wife's side, Bethany. Uh, we have my brother and his, his wife and two kids, my brother-in-law, Jesse, uh, and his two kids. There's William. Uh, my parents, and then my sister and her daughter, and then uh, me, my wife, and my three kids. But then also we have my wife's family. This is my wife's family, uh, uh, and this is our family, of course, our five. This is her parents and her sister in the back, and then her brother and sister-in-law and their new baby and her grandma, who turns 90 uh, this summer, which is incredible. I think 90. I may probably have that wrong. And then also, you have us five. If you didn't know, uh, I have three kids, and they're three and under. So we live in chaos. So the, the idea of a family that doesn't fight, my two girls have started fighting like all the time. And it's just like, huh, it, that will test you as a parent. And uh, you know if you're a parent. That, it's just something about it. It's like, 
Stop fighting. But I have, uh, so this is my wife, Bethany, and then our oldest, Isabella, our redhead, blue-eyed daughter, and then Sophie. Uh, this is our middle child. She just turned two. She is a daddy's girl to the extreme. It's like separation anxiety kind of uh, relationship. Uh, and then our son, the mama's boy, Liam, he's, a little, he's older now. He's 10 months. And then my wife, of course. Uh, but this this is, you know, picture perfect social media picture. This is what, you know, I think when I think about my life, like the perfect family. But if you peel back the layers and, and get past the perfect social media picture or the white picket fence of my family or any family, you will see that they all have their issues, that we have their issues, that my five have their issues, and my side of the family has their issues, and my wife's side of the family has their issues. All families have their issues that get messy. And David's family wasn't perfect either. Whether uh, it was the family he was born into or the family that he started, it was a mess and definitely wasn't perfect. But God still used David. And God still used David's family in life. So over the next couple of weeks, you may see some of your family through looking at the family of David and the life of David, and that's our hope. So, who is David? Who was David? David was the youngest of eight sons uh, of, of, of a guy named Jesse, who was a farmer and sheep breeder of the Israelite tribe of Judah. And David spent much of his childhood and his boyhood tending to his father's sheep, but crazy thing later became the king of Israel. So, if you're the youngest child in the room in your family, you're like, Okay, yeah, I'm the greatest in my family. That's kind of the same. I, I see that, like, the youngest became the king of Israel. The youngest is the favorite child. It goes together. Uh, but the thing about David's family life is that David was overlooked by even his own family. He was overlooked. He was outcasted. He was mistreated by his own family. And the youngest in the room said amen because they feel like they get mistreated all the time. But in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel was told by God to go to the house of Jesse and there he would anoint the next king of Israel. And when Samuel got there, Jesse brought out all of his sons besides David. That hurts a little bit. Besides David in front of Samuel, Samuel looked at all of Jesse's sons but none of them were the one that the Lord had told him to anoint. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 10 through 12, it says this. It said, Jesse had seven, uh, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. And we will not sit down until he arrives. So he went for him. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. I think they're ascribing me. Uh, but uh, that was a joke. That was okay. Uh, my wife will laugh at that one too. Uh, and then it goes on and said, Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So again, we have Samuel coming to the family of Jesse to anoint one of the sons, the next king of Israel. And instead of inviting all eight of his sons, he leaves out David. 
Some of you can relate to David today, overlooked by your family, outcasted by your family, mistreated sometimes by your family, not invited to events from your family by your family. That hurts a little bit if you've ever been there. But And then again, we see in 1 Samuel 17 that David was overlooked by his own family. In 1 Samuel 17, there was a man named Goliath. And this is a famous story that we all know, uh, even if you haven't been in church for a long time. There's a man named Goliath who was a large and mighty warrior standing nine feet tall. And for 40 days, each morning and evening, Goliath taunted the Israelite army and challenged any of them to come out and fight him man to man. And no one answered this challenge. No Israelite uh, soldier answered this challenge until David, the youngest son of Jesse, the eighth son of Jesse, answered this call to fight Goliath. And David was still tending to his father's sheep at the time. But one day, Jesse called for David to go and take uh, David's three oldest brothers were, were at the battlefield in the Israelite army. And he called for David to go and take grain and bread and cheese to his brothers who were on the battlefield. And verse 26 through 29 in 1 Samuel 17, it says this, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And then David's oldest brother uh, uh, heard him speaking with the man. He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. In verse 29, it says, I love David's response right here. And and if you're a youngest sibling, you've said this, or in your family, maybe you've said this before. David says, now what have I done? Like, now what have I done? All I've done is is just ask the question, can't I speak? Can I even speak? Some of you can relate to that. You've probably said that in your own family. Like, as a kid, like, now what have I done, parents? Like, what have I, how have I messed up now? Or your older brother or sister's, you know, agitated with you, and you're like, now what have I done? I was just talking. I was just speaking in the car. Now what have I done? And as we continue, uh, we see David volunteer to Saul to fight Goliath. And again, David is overlooked because of his age. And it says this in, in verse 34 through 37, and I'll wrap up our, our stories for today. It says this, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has both killed, has killed both the lion and the bear. Oh my. Sorry, that was Aaron's translation. This uncircumcised Philistine uh, will be like one of them, like the lion or the bear, because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this, of this Philistine. And then in verse 48 through 51, we see the battle of Goliath, David and Goliath and David conquering 
Goliath. And, some, uh, and, and so in both of our stories today, we see David, the youngest son of Jesse, continually overlooked, continually outcasted, continually not invited to, to family events, continually mistreated and looked down upon by his siblings and by his family. And some of you can relate to that today. Some of you have been looked overlooked by your family. Some of you have been mistreated by your family. Some of your families are messy and messed up and have dysfunction and have their ups and downs and their struggles. Uh, we learn a lot from the family of David, and we're going to continue over the next four weeks to look at the family of David and learn different truths. But from today's stories in 1 Samuel 16 and 17, we learn three biblical truths that I want to share with you today that I believe can help us in our own lives, just like David, but then in our families, starting this real family series. And the first truth is this we have to be faithful where God has us. We have to be faithful where God has us. You know, I've often heard uh, the saying that you can't choose your family. Like you can't choose the family that you're born into. You can choose if you want to stay with them in the future and, and, and be around them, of course. But you can't choose the family that you were born into. You can't choose the circumstances that you were born into. And I do agree with that. You, you don't get to choose, but you do get to choose what you do with the family that God has blessed you with. David didn't get to choose to be the youngest brother. He didn't get to choose to be in a family that was going to overlook him and outcast him and mistreat him. But he did get to choose what he did with the family that he was born into. And what I love about David is he chose to be faithful where God had him. He chose to be faithful in the family and in the life that God had given him. He was faithful in keeping his father's sheep. Each day he chose to be faithful in keeping the sheep and protecting the sheep uh, and feeding the sheep and tending to the sheep and protecting the sheep from the lion and the bear. He was faithful in doing what was asked by his father to go and take grain and bread and cheese to his brothers on the battlefield. And as children, we have to be faithful. The Bible teaches us that we have to be faithful in obeying our parents, and all the parents said amen. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, or this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on this earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children uh, to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. While you were a child, before you moved out, before uh, you got married and, or you started your own family, you left for college and then uh, started in adulthood. I guess you can consider college adulthood. I wouldn't really because I was still dependent on my parents. Uh, but uh, as soon as you start this adulthood, as you are a child, you are to obey your parents. Even when you leave your father and your mother you're, and be joined with your spouse, you are to honor your parents with, with this lifelong obligation to honor them and to obey them. But this scripture isn't just for, for children. In verse four, it challenges parents to be faithful in raising 
their children. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 through 9, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. I love this part of the scripture in verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And all the women said, thank you, Hobby Lobby. They're everywhere. Hobby Lobby signs everywhere. Blessed and highly favored. Uh, but, but we are to be faithful in raising our children. Parents, you are to be faithful in raising your children, and, and it's so easy as a parent, and this is speaking uh, as from experience of three young kids, uh, you're, we, we expect them to obey us. Like, we want them to obey. You're going to obey me. One way or the other, you're going to obey me. But there's a bigger challenge for us, and that is to be faithful in raising them. I love this scripture because it challenges parents, and it, and it puts this responsibility on a, on a parent to teach their kid about Jesus, to impress upon them the scriptures, to, to walk with them and to, uh, to talk with them about God and what he's done in their life and, and in your life, but then also what he's done uh, for us. And it challenges, this puts this great responsibility on parents to lead your house and not just depend on, on the church and on Sunday mornings for them to learn in G-Kids or at Generation Youth. It's for you. It puts this responsibility on a parent or a grandparent to impress upon them the word of God. We're, we're to be faithful, uh, not just to our kids and to loving and caring for them. Yes, we're to be faithful doing that. But we're to be faithful in teaching our kids about God so that they're raised up knowing about God, so they're raised up walking in a relationship with God. There's a lot of tests and a lot of studies out there uh, that say if a, a kid doesn't come to know God before, I believe it's like fifth grade, um, and I'll find this stat out. I know, uh, I, I know I don't have it in front of me. But if they don't, they don't hear about God and enter a relationship before then, there's a lot less chance that they're going to find God Later, So that's a responsibility as parents to, to impress upon our children the word of God, not that they should just do good and be a good person and follow our direction and don't fight with your sister or brother or to get A's and B's in schools, but to, to teach them the word of God. We're to be faithful in raising our children. We're to be faithful in our marriages. Uh, and, and, and some people may like this scripture, some people may not, but I'm gonna read it real quickly then. Uh, Colossians 3, 18 through 19 says, wives submit to your husbands uh, as, as it is fitting to the Lord. But then I think this challenges the husband on a so much greater, like a greater scale. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then another version says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a hard that's a hard calling to live up to. That's hard to live up, standard to live up to. We have to be faithful in loving our spouse and being and submitting to our spouse and treating our spouse with love. We have to be faithful where God has us in our family. Whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, we have to be faithful where God has us. Faithful means remaining loyal 
or steadfast. I love that word, steadfast. Remaining steadfast. David was faithful. David was loyal. He was steadfast where God had him, intending to the sheep of his father, in taking the grain and the bread and the cheese to his brothers on the battlefield, even when the lion and, or the bear came to eat the sheep and, and take away the sheep. David went after it and, and rescued the sheep. That's, that's a lot of faithfulness. I'm not chasing a bear or a lion. That's a lot of faithfulness to, to where God had him in that particular time of his life and in his family. And I think today you have to ask yourself this question, and it's a hard question sometimes to answer. Am I faithful? Am I faithful? As a child, am I faithful in obeying my parents and loving my parents and caring for my parents and, and, and honoring them and, and, and honoring who they are in my life? But as a, as, a, as a husband, as a wife, am I faithful in my marriage? Am I faithful in loving my spouse? Am I faithful in caring for my spouse? Am I faithful in doing what God has called me to do uh, in my home, my role uh, in, in loving my husband or loving my wife? Am I faithful in that? Am I faithful to my family as a grandparent? Am I faithful uh, in, in teaching my grandkids about the word of God and teaching my, and as a parent, teaching my kids and impressing the word of God upon my kids and teaching them about God and, 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 and walking with them and talking with them about what God's done in your life and what uh, he has done for them. Am I faithful? Am I faithful to my family? You have to trust God where he has you. You have to trust God where he has you in your family, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life and for your family. And that leads us to our second point, our second truth. No matter your family's circumstances, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. No matter how messy, no matter how dysfunctional, no matter uh, how, how messed up and the ups and downs of your family, God has a plan in a purpose for your life. Everybody's family circumstances is different. If we went around this room and everybody uh, just shared about their family circumstances between the first service and second service, everybody got in one room and we just shared all of our family circumstances, man, it would look completely different. Everybody had a different childhood. Everybody had different ups and downs that they went through. Everybody faced different, diff- different difficulties and had different messes. We'd probably be here legit all day and maybe through tomorrow, like just talking about it. I can talk probably about my family for that long just in myself, but I won't keep you here all day. Um, but we, we all have you know, different family circumstances. All families are, are different and the circumstances are different. There's, there's the good, there's the bad, and there's the ugly parts of your family circumstances, my family circumstances. But the one thing that is true is that no matter your family circumstances, God has a plan, plan and a purpose for your life. He has a plan and a purpose 
for your life. Even though David grew up in a family that outcasted him, outcasted him and overlooked him and mistreated him, didn't invite him to things, God still had a plan and a purpose for David's life. David, uh, God had called, uh, God had a plan for him when he was faithful tending to the sheep. God had a plan uh, and a purpose for him when he chased down the lion and the bear to get back the sheep. God had a plan and a purpose for David uh, when he was taking the grain and the bread and the cheese to his brothers on the battlefield. God had a plan and a purpose when Samuel came to the house of Jesse uh, to, to find the one the Lord wanted him to anoint the king. God had a plan and a purpose for David when he went and fought Goliath. And in Jeremiah 1, verse 4 through 5, it says this. It says, uh, talking about Jeremiah, it says, the word, of the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Just as the Lord had set his sights upon Jeremiah, forming him and knowing him and choosing him, God also set his love and his sight upon us. God cares for us. God cares for you. God loves you. God knows you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know this scripture. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to, plans to, uh, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. I love that first part. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. The Lord has plans for your life, just as God had a plan and a purpose for David's life and Jeremiah's life, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And sometimes in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the difficulty, we, we struggle with seeing that plan and purpose. We, we, we question that plan and purpose. Like, God, are you here? Like, are you guiding me? Are you leading me? God, how, if you're guiding me, like, how can it turn out this bad? Like, there's no way that you have a plan and a purpose because it is bad. Like, my family circumstances is bad. How in the world can you have a plan and a purpose for my life? And I just imagine David tending to the sheep. Like, really, God? Like, this is, this is what you have for me? I'm chasing down lions and bears. Like, this is what you have for me? But God had a plan and a purpose for his life. One of the hardest questions sometimes for me to answer and for maybe you to answer as well is do I have the faith to trust that God has a plan and a purpose? Do I have the faith to believe? Do I have the assurance and the confidence that God is going to work all things for good, all things out for the good of those who love him? Do I have the faith uh, to trust that God has a plan and a purpose when things don't turn out the way that I wanted them to turn out. I believe that. I'm confident in that. I have the faith in that. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's easy. When, when your family is so messed up, it, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not easy to believe sometimes that, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That God, God has a destiny for you. That God is working on your behalf. It, it, sometimes it gets hard. But we have to have the faith to believe that even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, no matter your family's circumstance, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And the last one, last biblical truth is no matter 
the family circumstances, no matter your family circumstances, God has a plan and a purpose for your family. No matter how messed up, no matter how dysfunctional, no matter the ups and the downs, God has a plan and the purpose for your life. I, at the end of my message today, I wanted to share this going with this point. Uh, and I'm gonna try to do this without getting super emotional. All right, so just bear with me. Uh, but last year, uh, we lost my sister. Um, you didn't see my sister, sorry. You didn't see my sister. You didn't see my sister on the, on the screen in the first picture, my youngest sister. We lost my sister. Uh, she was 25 years old. <clears throat> a week prior, she had a baby. Um, she also had the redheaded cute kid in the middle, uh, William. A week, a week prior, she, and on January 16th, she had just had her second kid, a daughter, Amelia, uh, who was just the cutest thing. And we lost, we lost her. She, one, I just remember it like it was yesterday. It was on a Saturday night. We got a call. My parents are at my house, and she just had a brain aneurysm and rushed to the hospital and did a bunch of tests and, and they went to do a CT scan. I'm probably getting the story a little messed up, but she, she just flatlined and never came back. And to say that this year has been easy or has, has been great, <laughs> Our family circumstances have been great is, is a hard thing sometimes to say. It's, it's a difficult, difficult thing uh, to trust and, 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 and to just be able to even get out. You know, we, a lot of times if you ask us how we're doing or you ask how my family's doing, we'll say, oh, we're good, you know, and that's the easy answer. But it's been the di most difficult time in my family's life, the hardest time. And, and, on, at her funeral, I preached a message um, and it was basically, I felt like God was just telling me to share about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and when uh, they were gonna be thrown into the fiery furnace and, and their, King Nebuchadnezzar is telling them to bow down and they're threatening to throw him in the furnace. And they say this, which is so profound. They say, we will not bow down and worship you and even if God doesn't rescue me, I will not worship you. I will worship my God. And they had this even if faith that said, even if he doesn't rescue me, even if he doesn't work out my family, even if things don't go well and things don't turn out well for my family, even if. But then I felt like God just pressed upon my heart to share this other side of it, this other side of that, that, that statement of even if faith and to share this even though faith and how we have to have this even though, even though he didn't rescue, even though he didn't heal Brianna the way that we wanted her to be healed and her to be restored to life, even though he didn't come through, man, to say that he is good, to say that he is faithful, to say that he has a plan 
and a purpose for my life and my family's life that to have that kind of faith. And so I don't know, I don't know what your family's circumstances are. Family's messy. Family's hard sometimes. Family's difficult. A real family is difficult to work through day to day and year to year holidays and and personalities and frustrated with siblings uh, and 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 parents that tell you how to parent your kids or don't don't bend or don't treat you well family circumstances are messy but god has a plan and a purpose for you and your family and if you don't get anything else today know that there's, there's different circumstances and people come from different backgrounds and different families, raised differently, raised by a single mom, single dad, uh, raised by no parents and raised by grandparents. Whatever it may be, uh, you never met your family. Uh, you were adopted. What a, family is messy. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and for your family. God wants to use you and use your family to tell others about him, to tell others about his goodness, to tell others about his faithfulness. And today, as we start this new series and as I start this new series, I just wanna take the opportunity for some people in this room to take some next steps. So with every head bowed, I close today, if you're currently not in a relationship with Jesus and you need, you need that hope and you need that faith and you need that trust and you need uh, the, the strength that only he can provide. If you need that relationship today, I want to give you the opportunity to make that commitment today. If that is you, would you just lift your hands? One of your hands. Amen. And then today as well, if you would say that you just need to recommit your family to God. Maybe you're a parent in the room and you haven't been impressing up upon your kid the word of God. Maybe you're a child in the room and you haven't been obeying your parents well. Maybe you're a grandparent and, and you just need to be a better grandparent and help out more and, and to be used better uh, by God to grandparent better. Whether uh, you're, you're a husband in the room or a wife in the room and you need to recommit your family to God today. If that is you, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Amen. Well, God, today, I thank you. I thank you for this new series. God, I thank you for family. God, I thank you for real families. I thank you for the families that are in this room, the families watching online. God, I pray today for them. God, I pray your protection. I pray your love. I pray your blessing. God, be upon their family today, whether they're kids across the country, whether they're families across uh, the world. God, I pray your blessing and love, God, flow through that family today. Flow through our families today, God. God, I pray for the person in this room that's not in a relationship with you, God, that they would submit to you, God, that they would look to you and commit their lives to you, God, that they would enter a relationship with you, God, and they might have ups and downs, but God, that they would come to know your love and come to know the plans and the purpose that you have for them. God, I pray for the families in this room that are just recommitting their families to you. God, I pray, God, as they take this step and as they make this commitment, God, that they love their kids, that they love their spouse, that they love, God, their family, God, with all of their heart and with all of their mind, and with all their soul. But God, first and foremost, God, that they would love you and they put you at the center of their family today. God, we ask these things in your name. 
And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.